Chapter Two of the New Chronicles of Rebecca. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jan Baxter. The New Chronicles of Rebecca by Kate Douglas Wigan. Second Chronicle, Daughters of Zion. Abijah Flagg was driving over to Wareham on an errand for old Squire Winship, whose general choy boy and farmer's assistant he had been for some years. He passed Emma Jane Perkins's house slowly, as he always did. She was only a little girl of thirteen, and he a boy of fifteen or sixteen, but somehow, for no particular reason, he liked to see the sun shine on her thick braids of reddish-brown hair. He admired her china-blue eyes, too, and her amiable, friendly expression. He was quite alone in the world, and he always thought that if he had anybody belonging to him, he would rather have a sister like Emma Jane Perkins than anything else within the power of Providence to bestow. When she herself suggested this relationship a few years later, he cast it aside with scorn, having changed his mind in the interval, but that story belongs to another time and place. Emma Jane was not to be seen in garden, field, or at the window, and Abijah turned his gaze to the large brick house that came next on the other side of the quiet village street. It might have been closed for a funeral. Neither Miss Miranda nor Miss Jane Sawyer sat at their respective windows knitting, nor was Rebecca Randall's gypsy face to be discerned. Ordinarily that will-o'-the-wispish little person could be seen, heard, or felt wherever she was. "'The village must be a bed, I guess,' mused Ajiba, as he neared the Robinson's yellow cottage, where all the blinds were closed, and no sign of life showed on porch or in shed. "'No, taint neither,' he thought again, as his horse crept cautiously down the hill, for from the direction of the Robinson's barn-chamber there floated out into the air certain burning sentiments set to the tune of Antioch. The words, to a lad brought up in the Orthodox faith, were quite distinguishable.' Zion from the dust, exalt thy fallen head. Even the most religious youth is stronger on first lines than others, but Ajiba pulled up his horse and waited till he caught another familiar verse beginning. Rebuild thy walls, thy bounds enlarge, and send thy heralds forth. That's Rebecca carrying the air, and I can hear Emma Jane's alto. and hold not back, go south, and hold not back, go south. Land! Ain't they smart? Seesawin' up and down in that part they learnt in singin' school. I wonder what they're actin' out singin' hymn tunes up in the barn chamber. Some of Rebecca's doin's, I'll be bound. Get up, Alec! Alec pursued his serene and steady trot up the hills, on the Edgewood side of the river, till at length he approached the green common where the old Tory Hill meeting-house stood, its white paint and green blinds showing fair and pleasant in the afternoon sun. Both doors were open, and as Abijah turned into the Wareham Road, the church melodeon pealed out the opening bars of the missionary hymn, and presently a score of voices sent the good old tune from the choir-loft out to the dusty road. Shall we whose souls are lighted with wisdom from on high, shall we to men be knighted the lamp of life deny? Land! exclaimed Abijah under his breath. They're at it up here, too. That explains it all. 
there's a missionary meeting at the church and the girls wasn't allowed to come so they held one of their own i'll bait ye it's the liveliest of the two abijah flagg's shrewd yankee guesses were not far from the truth though he was not in possession of all the facts it will be remembered by those who have been in the way of hearing rebecca's experiences in riverboro that the reverend and mrs birch returned missionaries from the far east together with some of their children all born under syrian skies as they always explained to interested inquirers spent a day or two at the brick house and gave parlor meetings in native costume these visitors coming straight from foreign lands to the little main village brought with them a nameless enchantment to the children and especially to rebecca whose imagination always kindled easily the romance of that visit had never died in her heart and among the many careers that dazzled her youthful vision was that of converting such syrian heathens as might continue in idol worship after the birch's efforts in their behalf had ceased she thought at the age of eighteen she might be suitably equipped for storming some minor citadel of mohammedanism and mrs birch had encouraged her in the idea not it is to be feared because rebecca showed any surplus of virtue or christian grace but because her gift of language her tact and sympathy and her musical talent seemed to fit her for the work it chanced that the quarterly meeting of the Maine Missionary Society had been appointed just at the time when a letter from Mrs. Birch to Miss Jane Sawyer suggested that Rebecca should form a children's branch in Riverboro. Mrs. Birch's real idea was that the young people should save their pennies and divert a gentle stream of financial aid into the parent fund, thus learning early in life to be useful in such work, either at home or abroad. The girls themselves, however, read into her letter no such modest participation in the conversion of the world, and wishing to effect an organization without delay, they chose an afternoon when every house in the village was vacant, and seized upon the Robinson's barn chamber as the place of meeting. Rebecca, Alice Robinson, Emma Jane Perkins, Candace Milliken, and Persis Watson, each with her hymn-book, had climbed the ladder leading to the haymow a half-hour before Abjiba Flag had heard the strains of Daughters of Zion floating out to the road. Rebecca, being an executive person, had carried, besides her hymn-book, a silver call-bell and pencil and paper. An animated discussion regarding one of two names for the society, the Junior Heralds, or the Daughters of Zion, had resulted in a unanimous vote for the latter, and Rebecca had been elected president at an early stage of the meeting. She had modestly suggested that Alice Robinson, as the granddaughter of a missionary to China, would be much more eligible. No, said Alice, with entire good nature. Whoever is elected president, you will be, Rebecca, you're that kind, so you might as well have the honor. I'd just as leaves be secretary anyway." "'If you should want me to be treasurer, I could be, as well as not,' said Persis Watson suggestively. "'For, you know, my father keeps China banks at his store, ones that will hold as much as two dollars if you will let them. I think he'd give us one if I happened to be treasurer.' The three principal officers were thus elected at one fell swoop, and with an entire absence of that red tape which commonly renders organizations so tiresome. Candace Milliken suggesting that perhaps she'd better be vice-president, as Emma Jane Perkins was always so bashful. "'We ought to have more members,' she reminded the other girls. "'But if we had invited them the first day, they'd have all wanted to be officers, especially Minnie Smelly. So it's just as well not to ask them till another time.' Is Thurza Meserve too little to join? I can't think why anybody named Meserve should have called a baby Thurza, 
said rebecca somewhat out of order though the meeting was carried on with small recognition of parliamentary laws it always makes me want to say there's a meserver heaven preserver there's a meserver do we deserve her she's little but she's sweet and absolutely without guile i think we ought to have her is guile the same as guilt inquired emma jane perkins yes the president answered exactly the same except one is written and the other spoken language rebecca was rather good at imbibing information and a master hand at imparting it written language is for poems and graduations and occasions like this kind of like a best sunday go to meeting dress that you wouldn't like to go blueberrying in for fear of getting it spotted i'd just as leaves get guile spotted as not affirmed the unimaginative emma jane i think it's an awful foolish word but now we're all named and our officers elected what do we do first it's easy enough for mary and martha birch they just play at missionarying because their folks work at it same as living and i used to make believe be blacksmiths when we were little it must be nicer missionarying in those foreign places said persis because on africa's shores and india's plains and other spots where satan reigns that's father's favorite hymn there's always a heathen bowing down to wooden stone you can take away his idols if he'll let you and give him a bible and the beginning's all made but who'll we begin on jethro small oh he's entirely too dirty and foolish besides exclaimed candace why not ethan hunt he swears dreadfully he lives on nuts and is a hermit, and it's a mile to his camp through the thick woods. My mother'll never let me go there, objected Alice. There's Uncle Tut Judson. He's too old. He's most a hundred and deaf as a post, complained Emma Jane. Besides, his married daughter is a Sabbath school teacher. Why doesn't she teach him to behave? I can't think of anybody just right to start on. Don't talk like that, Emma Jane and rebecca's tone had a tinge of reproof in it we are a copperated body named the daughters of zion and of course we've got to find something to do foreigners are the easiest there's a scotch family at north riverboro an english one in edgewood and one cuban man at milkins mills haven't foreigners got any religion of their own inquired persis curiously yes i suppose so kind of a one but foreigners religions are never right ours is the only good one this was from candace the deacon's daughter i do think it must be dreadful being born with a religion and growing up with it and then finding out it's no use and all your time wasted here rebecca sighed chewed a straw and looked troubled well that's your punishment for being a heathen retorted candace who had been brought up strictly but i can't for the life of me see how you can help being a heathen if you're born in africa persisted persis who was well named you can't rebecca was clear on this point i had that all out with mrs birch when she was visiting aunt miranda she says they can't help being heathen but if there's a single mission station in the whole of africa they're accountable if they don't go there and get saved are there plenty of stages and railroads asked alice because there must be dreadfully long distances and what if they couldn't pay the fare that part of it is so dreadfully puzzly we mustn't talk about it please said rebecca her sensitive face quivering with the force of the problem poor little soul she did not realize that her superiors in age and intellect had spent many a sleepless night over that same accountability of the heathen it's too bad the simpsons have moved away said candace it's so seldom you can find a really big wicked family like that to save with only clarabelle and susan good in it 
and numbers count for so much continued alice my grandmother says if missionaries can't convert about so many in a year the board advises them to come back to america and take up some other work i know rebecca corroborated and it's the same with revivalists at the centennial picnic in north riverboro a revivalist sat opposite to mr ladd and aunt jane and me and he was telling about his wonderful success in manger last winter he'd converted a hundred and thirty in a month he said or about four and a third a day i'd just finished fractions so i asked mr ladd how the third of a man could be converted he laughed and said it was just the other way, that the man was a third converted. Then he explained that if you were trying to convince a person of his sin on a Monday and couldn't quite finish by sundown, perhaps you wouldn't want to sit up all night with him, and perhaps he wouldn't want you to, so you'd begin again on Tuesday. And you couldn't just say which day he was converted, because it would be two-thirds on Monday and one-third on Tuesday. Mr. Ladd is always making fun, and the board couldn't expect any great things of us girls, new beginners suggested emma jane who was being constantly warned against tautology by her teacher i think it's awful rude anyway to go right out and try to convert your neighbors but if you borrow a horse and go to edgewood lower corner or millikan's mills i suppose that makes it foreign missions would we each go alone or wait upon them with a committee as they did when they asked deacon tuttle for a contribution for the new hearse asked persis oh we must go alone decided rebecca it would be much more refined and delicate aunt miranda says that one man alone could never get a subscription from deacon tuttle and that's the reason they sent a committee but it seems to me mrs birch couldn't mean for us to try and convert people when we're none of us even church members except candace i think all we can do is to persuade them to go to a meeting and sabbath school or give money for the hearse or the new horse sheds now let's all think quietly for a minute or two who's the very most heathenish and reprehensiblest person in Riverboro. After a very brief period of silence, the words, Jacob Moody, fell from all lips with entire accord. You are right, said the President tersely. And after singing hymn number 274, to be found on the 66th page, we will take up the question of persuading Mr. Moody to attend divine service for the minister's Bible class, he not having been in the meeting-house for, lo, these many years. Daughter of Zion, the power that hath saved thee, extolled with the harp and the timbrel should be. Sing without reading, if you please, omitting the second stanza, hymn 274, to be found on the 66th page of the new hymn-book, or on page 32 of Emma Jane Perkins's old one. It is doubtful if the Reverend Mr. Birch had ever found in Syria a person more difficult to persuade than the already gospel-hardened Jacob Moody of Riverboro. Tall, gaunt, swarthy, black-bearded his masses of grizzled uncombed hair and the red scar across his nose and cheek added to his sinister appearance his tumble-down house stood on a rocky bit of land back of the sawyer pasture and the acres of his farm stretched out on all sides of it he lived alone ate alone ploughed planted sowed harvested alone and was more than willing to die alone unwept unhonored and unsung the road that bordered upon his fields was comparatively little used by any one, and notwithstanding the fact that it was thickly set with chokecherry trees and blackberry bushes, it had been for years practically deserted by the children. 
jacob's red astrakhan and granny garland trees hung thick with apples but no riverboro or edgewood boy stole them for terrifying accounts of the fate that had overtaken one urchin in times agone had been handed along from boy to boy protecting the moody fruit far better than any police patrol perhaps no circumstances could have extenuated the old man's surly manners or his lack of all citizenly graces and virtues but his neighbors commonly rebuked his present way of living and forgot the troubled past that had brought it about the sharp-tongued wife the unloving and disloyal sons the daughter's hapless fate and all the other sorry tricks that fortune had played upon him at least that was the way in which he had always regarded his disappointments and griefs this then was the personage whose moral rehabilitation was to be accomplished by the daughters of zion but how who will volunteer to visit mr moody blandly asked the president visit mr moody it was a wonder the roof of the barn chamber did not fall it did indeed echo the words and in some way make them sound more grim and satirical nobody will volunteer rebecca rowena randall and you know it said emma jane why don't we draw lots when none of us wants to speak to him and yet one of us must this suggestion fell from persis watson who had been pale and thoughtful ever since the first mention of jacob moody she was fond of granny garland's she had once met jacob and as to what befell well we all have our secret tragedies wouldn't it be wicked to settle it that way it's gamblers that draw lots people did it in the bible ever so often it doesn't seem nice for a missionary meeting these remarks fell altogether upon the president's bewildered ear the while as she always said in compositions the while she was trying to adjust the ethics of this unexpected and difficult dilemma it is a very puzzly question she said thoughtfully i could ask aunt jane if we had time but i suppose we haven't it doesn't seem nice to draw lots and yet how can we settle it without we know we mean right and perhaps it will be alice take this paper and tear off five narrow pieces all different lengths at this moment a voice from a distance floated up to the haymow a voice saying plaintively will you let me play with you girls hulda has gone to ride and i'm all alone it was the voice of the absolutely without guile thirza meserve and it came at an opportune moment if she is going to be a member said persis why not let her come up and hold the lots she'd be real honest and not favor anybody it seemed an excellent idea and was followed up so quickly that scarcely three minutes ensued before the guileless one was holding the five scraps in her hot little palm laboriously changing their places again and again until they looked exactly alike and all rather soiled and wilted come girls draw commanded the president thirza you mustn't chew gum at a missionary meeting it isn't polite nor holy take it out and stick it somewhere till the exercises are over the five daughters of zion approached the spot so charged with fate and extending their trembling hands one by one then after a moment's silent clutch of their papers they drew nearer to one another and compared them emma jane perkins had drawn the short one becoming thus the destined instrument for jacob moody's conversion to a more seemly manner of life she looked about her despairingly as if to seek some painless and respectable method of self-destruction do let's draw over again she pleaded i'm the worst of all of us i'm sure to make a mess of it till i get kind of trained in rebecca's heart sank at this frank confession which only corroborated her own fears i'm sorry emmy dear she said but our only excuse for drawing lots at all would be to have it sacred 
we must think of it as a kind of sign almost like god speaking to moses in the burning bush oh i wish there was a burning bush right here cried the distracted and recalcitrant missionary how quick i'd step into it without even stopping to take off my garnet ring don't be such a scare-cat emma jane exclaimed candace bracingly jacob moody can't kill you even if he has an awful temper trot right along now before you get more frightened shall we go cross lots with her rebecca and wait at the pasture gate then whatever happens alice can put it down in the minutes of the meeting in these terrible crises of life time gallops with such incredible velocity that it seemed to emma jane only a breath before she was being dragged through the fields by the other daughters of zion the guileless little thirza panting in the rear at the entrance to the pasture rebecca gave her an impassioned embrace and whispering whatever you do be careful how you lead up lifted off the top rail and pushed her through the bars then the girls turned their backs reluctantly on the pathetic figure and each sought a tree under whose friendly shade she could watch and perhaps pray until the missionary should return from her field of labor alice robinson whose compositions were always marked ninety-six or ninety-seven to a hundred symbolizing such perfection as could be attained in the mortal world of riverboro alice not only daughter but scribe of zion sharpened her pencil and wrote a few well-chosen words of introduction to be used when the records of the afternoon had been made by emma jane perkins and jacob moody rebecca's heart beat tumultuously in her gingham dress she felt that a drama was being enacted and though unfortunately she was not the central figure she had at least a modest part in it the short lot had not fallen to the properest daughter that she quite realized yet would any one of them succeed in winning jacob moody's attention in engaging him in pleasant conversation and finally in bringing him to a realization of his mistaken way of life she doubted but at the same moment her spirits rose at the thought of the difficulties involved in the undertaking difficulties always spurred rebecca on but they daunted poor emma jane who had no little thrills of excitement and wonder and fear and longing to sustain her lagging soul that her interview was to be entered as minutes by a secretary seemed to her the last straw her blue eyes looked lighter than usual and had the glaze of china saucers her usually pink cheeks were pale but she pressed on determined to be a faithful daughter of zion and above all to be worthy of rebecca's admiration and respect rebecca can do anything she thought with enthusiastic loyalty and i mustn't be any stupider than i can help or she'll choose one of the other girls for her most intimate friend so mustering all her courage she turned into Jacob Moody's dooryard, where he was chopping wood. "'It's a pleasant afternoon, Mr. Moody,' she said in a polite but hoarse whisper, Rebecca's words, "'Lead up, lead up,' ringing in clarion tones through her brain. Jacob Moody looked at her curiously. "'Good enough, I guess,' he growled. "'But I don't never have time to look at afternoons.' emma jane seated herself timorously at the end of a large log near the chopping block supposing that jacob like other hosts would pause in his tasks and chat the block is kind of like an idol she thought i wish i could take it away from him and then perhaps he'd talk at this moment jacob raised his axe and came down on the block with such a stunning blow that emma jane fairly leaped into the air you'd better look out sissy or you'll get chips in the eye said moody grimly going on with his work the daughter of Zion sent up a silent prayer for inspiration, but none came, and she sat, silent, 
giving nervous jumps in spite of herself whenever the axe fell upon the log Jacob was cutting. Finally, the host became tired of his dumb visitor, and leaning on his axe, he said, "'Look here, sis, what have you come for? What's your errand? You want apples, or cider, or what? Speak up, or get out, one or t'other.' Emma Jane, who had wrung her handkerchief into a clammy ball, gave it a last despairing wrench, and faltered. "'Wouldn't you like—hadn't you better—don't you think you ought to be more constant at meeting in Sabbath school?' Jacob's axe almost dropped from his nerveless hand, and he regarded the daughter of Zion with unspeakable rage and disdain. Then, the blood mounting in his face, he gathered himself together and shouted, "'You take yourself off that log and out of this dooryard double-quick, you impertinent sanctimus young one. You just let me catch Bill Perkins' child trying to teach me where I shall go at my age. Scuttle, I tell you, and if I see your pious canton little mug inside my fence again on such business, I'll chase you down the hill and set the dog on you. Scoot, I tell you!' Emma Jane obeyed orders summarily, taking herself off the log, out the dooryard, and otherwise scuttling and scooting down the hill at a pace never contemplated even by Jacob Moody, who stood regarding her flying heels with a sardonic grin. Down she stumbled, the tears coursing over her cheeks and mingling with the dust of her flight, blighted hope, shame, fear, rage, all tearing at her bosom in turn, till with a hysterical shriek she fell over the bars and into Rebecca's arms, outstretched to receive her. The other daughters wiped her eyes and supported her almost fainting form, while Thirza, thoroughly frightened, burst into sympathetic tears and refused to be comforted. No questions were asked for it was felt by all parties that Emma Jane's demeanour was answering them before they could be framed. "'He threatened to set the dog on me!' she wailed presently, when, as they neared the Sawyer pasture, she was able to control her voice. "'He called me a pious, canton young one, and he said he'd chase me out of the dooryard if I ever came again, and he'll tell my father I know he will, for he hates him like poison!' All at once the adult point of view dawned upon Rebecca. She never saw it until it was too obvious to be ignored. Had they done wrong in interviewing Jacob Moody? Would Aunt Miranda be angry as well as Mr. Perkins? Why was he so dreadful, Emmy? she questioned tenderly. What did you say first? How did you lead up to it? Emma Jane sobbed more convulsively and wiped her nose and eyes impartially as she tried to think. I guess I never let up at all. Not a mite. I didn't know what you meant. I was sent on an errand, and I went and done it the best I could. Emma Jane's grammar always lapsed in moments of excitement. And then Jake roared at me like Squire Winship's bull, and he called my face a mug. You shut up that secretary book, Alice Robinson. If you write down a single word, I'll never speak to you again. And I don't want to be a member another minute for fear of drawing another short lot. I've got enough of the Daughters of Zion to last me the rest of my life. I don't care who goes to meetin' and who don't. The girls were at the Perkins gate by this time, and Emma Jane went sadly into the empty house to remove all traces of the tragedy from her person before her mother should come home from the church. The others wended their way slowly down the street, feeling that their promising missionary branch had died almost as soon as it had budded. Goodbye, said Rebecca, swallowing lumps of disappointment and chagrin as she saw the whole inspiring plan break and vanish into thin air like an iridescent bubble. It's all over, and we won't ever try it again. I'm going in to do overcasting as hard as I can, because I hate that the worst. Aunt Jane must write to Mrs. Birch that we don't want to be home missionaries. Perhaps we're not big enough anyway. 
I'm perfectly certain it's nicer to convert people when they're yellow or brown or any color but white, and I believe it must be easier to save their souls than it is to make them go to meeting. End of Second Chronicle, Daughters of Zion